This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joe Cohen. I'm Gabriel Rossman. Today, spinning journal abstracts. Our discussion was recorded on October 2nd, 2019. Uh, Recently, I read a study on spinning abstracts in psychiatry. And, uh, you know, by spin, we're talking about framing those like null findings or p-hack findings or otherwise fragile findings into something substantive. The article is by... Samuel Jellison and colleagues, and it was published in something or other. I don't know, but it was (laughs) what's that? BMJ Evidence Based Medicine. Awesome. And uh, first of all, it's a 1500 word article, so check it out yourself. But it was actually quite good. It's interesting, honestly. I I don't get the sampling mechanism of the paper. Well, I only had time to read the abstract of this paper, (laughs) (laughs) no, but the. The, the sampling mechanism is pretty simple. They took the top psychiatry journals and they got everything published over five years. But there was an exclusion thing. Yeah, basically it had, they, they had to do, it was only for experiments. So, so all the experiments published over the last five years in the top psych journals. Okay, that's that's it. Okay, great. And in a nutshell, the article identifies, you know, a, a lot of things that I recognized, you know, ignoring insignificant findings on your studies focal variable and then dressing up, you know, whatever significance, you know, minor significance changes you find in controls or claiming that insignificant findings help establish like positive theoretical claims or using phrases like trending towards significance. And all of this sort of points to a perceived pressure or observation of a pressure that people have to sell their findings. And I was wondering, you think you think we'd find something similar in our business? Because I certainly do. And Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no. and, yeah. And, and, and I think the only question about this segment is how many specific examples I can think of and name. <laughs> but you know, that's, that's a, that's a problem. Uh, it, it, or is it a problem? Like, I, I, well, I, let's, let, before we get into that, let's talk yeah. about, you know, why people would spin their um, findings mm-hmm. in psych. It's psychiatry. And their argument is that people spend their findings basically because they want to get positive findings. Mm-hmm. And that even if you pre-register your study so that you're not getting publication bias, at least the tables don't have publication bias, you can still kind of emphasize those uh, tests that turned out significant in the abstract and kind of bury the, you know, you present the non-significant results, but you bury them and you only emphasize rhetorically the significant results. So they're treating it almost as like a rhetorical form of p-hacking or publication bias, even if everything's in there. And then they (laughs) like, you know, that that's, so that's 400 words. And then for the other 800, um, they're basically looking to see, is it correlated with anything, you know, in terms, and they basically find out more or less it's not. And if anything, it's more highly correlated with um, public funding than it is with private sector funding, yeah. which may sound weird to sociologists, but you know this is a medical um, field, so there's a lot of funding from drug companies. Right. But they don't find that this is especially a problem with articles, at least as among that subset of articles that appears in uh, top journals uh, that were uh, paid for by uh, drug companies. Do you think it's indicative of a flaw in the way we collectively do our work? That we got to dress up nothing and make it sound like something? Well, I think sociologists do this in more ways just than the psychiatry professors they're talking about. Like, I think, you know, so they're basically just saying people just want results. And in particular, they want results showing that drugs work. Yeah. But, I, you know, I think we have more complicated uh, 
incentives, goals, whatever, than the psychiatrists do, who just want to show that drugs work. Mm. Um, you know, we sometimes will have findings that we're not especially comfortable with. Yeah. And I think some people will tend to bury them. Um, you know, so I, I could think of a, a, I'm thinking of a specific scholar of, uh, well, fucking, I'm just, so like, when I think of like Jennifer Lee's work, Mm-hmm. And the Asian American achievement paradox. Mm-hmm. Like, if you read the um, interviews describing the book, mm-hmm. or you read the abstract for the book, um, you get a very different picture than if you actually read the details. Yeah. Where you know the the abstract is all like, "Oh, Amy Chu is wrong. There's no such thing as uh, you know an Asian American culture uh, towards um, you know basically." Uh, you know, mom yelling at you to do your homework, mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then you actually read the book, and that's all it is. You know, and and in fact, the book actually refutes the idea that it's all a um, uh, an immigration gradient, you know, that only college educated migrants, because uh, the book specifically says that there's some uh, national origin groups who had uh, low educational attainment at the time of migration, but in the second generation have similar outcomes. So that's a case where you read the abstract, you get a completely different impression than if you actually read the chapters and, you know, the tables and whatnot. Yeah, that was Art Sakamoto uh, we had on uh, with, yeah. with that. That's that. You know, I feel like it's part and parcel of the the whole p hacking pressure. Though it's like there's a really strong pressure for us to be like, I discovered something, and yeah. there's not enough people who are actually checking things and you know, or just running tests and reporting them. And it sort of it distracts from the research aspect of our job and makes sales you know, sales, uh, part of the business and a big part of the business. I think about this, uh, I think about it as a, a little bit of a, uh, a product of our old media environment, you know, when people could get, uh, there were only so many opportunities to have your work publicized. I mean, there were only so many journals and so many places in that journal. It's not like you could just upload it to social archive and anybody who wanted it could get it. And so you needed some oomph. You know, you needed some reason to be included in that sort of showcase. But now you can distribute research findings, you know, pretty costlessly and have them found. There is kind of a hype function, even if it's written as an executive summary. And I think that's more true with digital and the idea that you can put anything you want on social archive where, you know, it used to be once upon a time you'd get you or maybe if you're too young for to have experienced this, your advisor would get ASR in the mail every two months Mm -hmm. and you'd sit down and you'd read the whole thing, you know? And so in that case, the abstract doesn't really matter because you're going to read the whole thing. But um, now if we get things online, we tend not to, you know, read a journal cover to cover. Um, And especially if you have something like social archive, like nobody has time to read all the articles on social archive and you're going to rely on the abstracts to basically tell you which one should you bother reading. Yeah. Although, I mean, if it's if it's in your field, I would just go to the tables anyways, you know. It's like, well, or I mean, and honestly, I find that uh, when I get something to peer review, that reading the abstract, which is what they usually send you before you agree to review it, yeah. will give me kind of a vague idea of whether I'm going to like the article or not. <laughs> but if I go, but what I do is I go straight to the bibliography and the mm-hmm. bibliography usually tells me pretty well whether I'm going to like it or not to the extent that I'm sometimes surprised where I'm like, Oh, but it cited all the right things. Why did I still hate it? <laughs> so, so is there sales? Like how much do you think it's like, there's a lot of sales in our, in our work. And is that something we should be like training our students to be better at then? 
to dress up that finding, give it some pizzazz. Cause like, that doesn't seem to me like science. It, it seems to me sort of like uh, something that would detract from the overall quality of our collective work, even if it's important in establishing our individual career. Well, we, we do that in other respects, right? I mean, doing a good job talk is considered an art form that's important for grad students to learn. And, you know, when grad students are on the market, the department generally makes a pretty big effort to help them craft their job talk, job talk, hosting a practice job talk and that sort of thing. That's effectively rhetoric. You know, it's, it's, it's not just like, well, let the T tests show speak for themselves. Otherwise we wouldn't have flyouts. You know um, it's just that, you know, I think that there's a place for hype, you know um, such as book jackets and arguably job talks, uh, but you know, we, we still do have this notion of, um, abstracts as executive summaries. And I think for people to make a misleading executive summary is basically a way to exploit the laziness and or finite time <laughs> of the reader, right? Yeah. Where, you know, if I know that, you know, people on average, let's I'm completely make up a number, but let's say people only actually read, let alone read carefully, half the stuff that they cite. Yeah. You know, I can Charitable. put something in the abstract. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can put something in the abstract and, you know, shape how you do it. And for that matter, even if you read the whole thing, the abstract is important tone shifting thing, right? So if we go back mm -hmm. to the, uh, the case of this BMJ article, you know, if, if you write an abstract saying, look at this finding, don't look at that other finding, look at this finding. And then you read the paper and you're like, oh, that's the finding they told me to look at. That's the important part. Yeah. And then you'll kind of skim past the other part, you know, so it, it can help draw attention to the aspects that you want to draw attention to, you know, even if people read it. You've been listening to the Annex, a sociology podcast. We're on the web, sociocast.org slash Annex, on Twitter at Sociannex, and on Facebook, the Annex Sociology Podcast. Our producer is Lisseth Marino, music by Lena Orsa. On behalf of Gabriel Rossman, I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening. Bye.